Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. All right, we are back in full effect in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And it's summertime. And summertime definitely was my favorite time as a child and little homie. Oh, yeah. Because this is where things like what Bayan is doing mm -hmm. came together. Bayan, how hey, you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And you have a special program for little homies coming up this mm -hmm. summer. I do. So what what what's happening? What what is going on with your summer program as for a kid, it was great to be in a good summer program. Mm -hmm. And for a parent, it's like, yes, please get yep. them out the crib. Exactly. I just know for myself, like growing up, I just always remembered uh, those moments of like summer camps and things like that. Um, or even programs like on the weekends at the mosque. You know, for me, those are where I have so many of my memories. Um, so I just want to be able to, you know, recreate that and keep that going. Especially now, um, you know, with a lot of kids being at home over the summer um, or not being in summer school. So, you know, we want to make sure they're they're staying active, staying engaged, keeping up their skills, social skills, too. Um, so I have a, um, a summer program I started last year, actually. It's called Writing for Freedom. Um, and basically, it's a series of uh, free workshops once a week in the summer. Specifically, uh, this year, it'll be in July, every Thursday um, from four to seven. Um, and it'll take place at 90s Knowledge Cafe um, that's in Highland Park. Um, and then the last Friday of July, it'll be from 7 to 9, and that'll be our final showcase. So we'll be able to show the public a project that we've been working on over the summer. Um, but basically, uh, it'll be a series of free workshops, like I said, covering different aspects, um, such as poetry, writing, reading, yoga, meditation, art, dance. So really just like mixing it up. And... Um, I'm working with different community partners that can come in and um, host these different workshops. Um, so I know, for example, we have a group called Bloom Bodies, um, and they're a group um, that focuses on education as well through the arts. Um, so, for example, they'll be uh, hosting a workshop with us July 9th, um, talking about the importance of teaching black history in schools. Um, and also we'll be, you know, listing out action steps that students can take to, um, you know, work towards making changes in their schools, um, resisting and dismantling systems of oppression. Um, and that's really like the overarching theme of the program as well um, is through these different activities. You know, I want us to be um really framing what we're doing and, and thinking about in terms of how can we uh, mold and lead and mentor our youth to be uh, building and, and to continue this movement that's happening. You know, how can we grow that seed in them and, and um, teach them these ways to continue to, you know, resist oppression, um, dismantle, um, you know, these different types of oppression, whether it's uh, su white supremacy or patriarchy, right, sexism, uh, homophobia. So these are the types of conversations that we'll be having every week uh, with the young folks. Um, age group is high school to young adult. Um, so, yeah, I'm just I'm really excited for it. It's going to be a good time. We had it last year for the first time and we just had so much fun. So I was like, you know what? We're bringing it back next year. So here we are. All right. Now, with that, we're going to. I introduced that first because that's soon. That's mm -hmm. July 2nd. That's yeah, coming up. Yeah, that starts up. this Thursday. Yep. So tomorrow, 
see about getting your little homies over there. Mm-hmm. And it's a free program right there Absolutely in free. the neighborhood. Yep. But I definitely have to start off like the usual Detroit is different mm-hmm. interview and story. Mm-hmm. Uh, your ties to Detroit. What's your yeah. ties to Detroit? So for me, I've been working in education in the city for maybe about six, seven years now. Um, after I graduated from U of M, I joined this program called City Year. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's an AmeriCorps program across the country um, where they put young people like me in schools that need extra support in classrooms, you know, that one-on-one support that students might need. Um, for me, I was uh, specifically at Hopper Woods High School, um, and that was just a huge eye-opener and big experience for me in shifting um, what I realized I need to be doing in this world. Um, it also opened my eyes to how vast you know, these disparities can be in education simply based off of your zip code um, and race. Um, that's something I, I never knew, especially um, just I was definitely privileged growing up going to a really nice suburban school. It was very, very well funded, you know, and not realizing that just a mile, few miles away, it could be a completely different experience in different schools and seeing how that can also, you know, affect your future outcomes. Um, As one of the things that I always point out, uh, mm-hmm. the government and a lot of politicians, especially Democrats, mm-hmm. say with pride, we stop redlining. Mm-hmm. And redlining was so horrible for what it did. But right now, the definition of redlining is the school districts. Yep, Realtors cannot speak to certain neighborhoods or talk down certain neighborhoods. But mm-hmm. one of the things they can't speak to is the schools. Mm-hmm. And the more black students black or brown students mm-hmm. in any school district or school then that means that the worst grade that school will get the yeah. worst grade that school will get that'll affect property values mm-hmm. so much of what we define as great neighborhoods is defined as quote unquote great schools right. and great schools great neighborhoods mean more white people mm-hmm. and that has been a veil of reality that has been lived in for so long Mm -hmm. even the busing issue in 1975 that Mm -hmm. uh joe biden uh and jesse helms Mm -hmm. strom thurmond many of these senators uh were back and forth over and what this means of the segregation of the busing as many students from black neighborhoods said i want to get access to go to these white schools for a quote-unquote better education which is debatable as well and what that means but the disparities that exist in school systems mm-hmm. exactly is vast. yeah and a lot of people don't recognize that you know the way schools are funded is simply through taxpayer dollars based on your city right mm-hmm. so that's why we continue to see that that huge difference um you know with with areas that are more of a lower socioeconomic status you know that's why we're not seeing that much going into the schools that are located there um, and people also don't talk about, you know, there was actually a lot of, um, black folks who were actually against, uh, desegregation of schools because a lot of students actually flourished in those schools because they were being taught in a community of people that knew them, that loved them, that trusted them, you know, and actually some of my graduate studies last year, I saw this, uh, data that showed, um, how well they were doing in those schools as well. You know, um, and how much those scores actually decreased when they started, you know, and, and desegregating schools. And that's what makes Detroit such a unique place mm-hmm. is being here at 
Detroit is different. I've had the honor of interviewing a lot of people stringing together many stories. Mm -hmm. So like Dan Aldridge uh, and also Kofi Kenyatta, uh, the the basis for a lot of African-centered education right. in America. And so many of those have closed. In many in, in Detroit. Mm -hmm. and, and Detroit Public Schools at one point in time was, it was a mandate on African-centered education at the same time when the billion-dollar bond for Detroit Public Schools was taken up from Detroit voters. So money was there for schools, and that's when the state stepped in through Governor Engler at the time. And uh, David Adamani um, from Wayne State University all said that we can teach these children better, which was a long, elaborate scheme of capitalizing and introducing emergency mm -hmm. management inside of Detroit, which eventually took over courthouses, which eventually took over the city. Mm -hmm. But a basis of suppressing the vote of black people, suppressing the voice of black people and colonizing resources that black people had allocated to them. Uh, this this reality played out throughout my my lifetime, which which I'm one of those people uh, in that mix uh, mm -hmm. graduated in 2001. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're an instructor. You're, you're an yeah. educator yep. in this mix yep. of, of dealing with this landscape of, of these strategically broken school districts uh, where so many of the resources for what Detroit schools are go outside of Detroit schools. Um, before we even get there, what, what led you to want to become an educator? What, what, what was the passion that sparked you to mm -hmm. be in that field? Um, so during my time at U of M in undergrad, um, I was really heavy in the um, activism scene, specifically around Palestine. Mm -hmm. So um, that was um, just like a huge wake up call for me in terms of seeing what my purpose is and, and what I can do in this in this lifetime here on this earth. Um, being able to bring people, you know, collectively together um, to call out, um, you know, injustice in this world. And so after that, like I said, um, it led me to doing the city year program. And um, it gave me like my activism really gave me a lot of the frameworks of what I'm using now today. Um, I was a women's studies major. And so I really was able to learn a lot about the theories and frameworks around, um, you know, not just around feminism or sexism, but also beyond that, it was very heavily tied with racism um, homophobia and such. So, um, yeah. So since then, like I said, I've just been really dedicated, really passionate about what I do. It's really important to me that we use whatever privileges we have, um, to, you know, pass that on to the youth, um, to do whatever we can to, you know, help build them up. Um, so since then, yeah, I've just been teaching English at a few different schools. Um, and I do a lot of youth programming as well, such as this one, uh, poetry as well. I'm a poet. So I do after school poetry programming. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm just really excited. It's what I'm passionate about. It just brings me joy to be honest at the end of the day. It's like, I just love doing it. I have fun with it. So you spoke to activism around Palestine. Explain mm -hmm. that. What, what activism were you leading or mm -hmm. involved in? Yeah. What was that? So um, a lot of colleges do a lot of activism around Palestine. So 
for people who are listening don't really know much definitely urge you to look into it um but since um about the 40s or 50s um you had early um zionist settlers coming into what is now palestine and israel um and occupying the land Mm -hmm. um and so we're seeing just a present day form of colonialism uh present day um land grabbing um jewish only settlements uh you have a huge apartheid wall separating between the west bank and israel you have the gaza strip as well which is another piece of palestine that has been separated as well strategically um and they really call the gaza strip an open air prison because they don't let anything in and out um it's very controlled by Israel. Um, and then even in that West Bank, you know, it's heavily um, afflicted by checkpoints. People have to carry IDs. They harass them at checkpoints, hold them there for hours. So a lot of scholars and um, researchers make like these comparisons and parallels between what's happening in Palestine with South African apartheid. Um, very similar in just terms of, of how they're separating uh, the indigenous people uh, and then these colonizers who are coming in and trying to take over the land and trying to basically harass the people to the point where they want them to leave. And and with this, what was the what spoke to you? Have you visited mm-hmm. Palestine? Uh, what what spoke to you about this work? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was your connection? To yeah, you? honestly, it was just it was a it's just humanity. That's mm-hmm. really what it was to me. It was just like. You know, even with education, it's like, damn, like what's going on is really fucked up. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can. You know, and um, it just it's just in me. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, dang, like I need to do something like I, I need to keep moving. I need to keep reading. I need to keep active. I need to keep organizing. Like I can't sit and do nothing when there's all this injustice going on. Like, why should I have the privilege to sit at home? in my safe house and do nothing about it, you know, while everyone else is going through X, Y, and Z. Like, I really feel like God has given me like this purpose to, to really do something. And I'm really trying to use all the power and energy I have, the resources I have to continue to to build other people that are like-minded and that are on the same path and, and really want to work collectively towards dismantling these forms of oppression. And y- y- that relationship, mm-hmm. uh, from the lens of Islam Mm -hmm. as it's definitely Mm -hmm. um, most Islamic nations Mm -hmm. and most, uh, most people of Islam look to uh, the occupation there of Palestine through Israel as, as oppressive. Did did that have a, yeah, you bring up a great point. Yeah, for sure. Um, When it comes to Palestine, it's, it's it's funny it's like every muslim is just down for the cause it's like it's just kind of born in us like it's something that we have been raised as part of the culture mm-hmm. uh for both muslims and arabs mm-hmm. um it's just something that we've been raised to think about been raised to be like this is what's going on and and we support this like this these are our brothers and sisters and we got to mm-hmm. be there for them um even grow, growing up as a child, you know, I remember attending protests, going down to D.C. for a huge rally. Um, so it's I, it's been around me since I was a child. OK, what uh, what, what neighborhood? Where, where did where were you growing mm-hmm. up as a child? Um, so I was specifically born in Hamtramck. OK, um, was there for a minute. Ended up moving out to the suburbs and Bloomfields. OK. 
Um, and then a lot of the mosques that I went to, um, it was just a normal thing that was just always talked about and discussed. There was always fundraising dinners, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, I went to a mosque in Bloomfield Hills called the Unity Center. Mm -hmm. um, also went to um, one in Dearborn um, that was predominantly Palestinian. So that was also the time a time when it you know really brought my attention to it as well as a child. I just remember doing so much there around it. So um, even before college, you kind of had a yes, uh, uh, yeah, an understanding of yep. this. Yep. And did college expand that, or did it more so just in, like encourage you to be more active? Um, I think it was just it was already there. It was already in me. And then now that I was an independent person, mm -hmm. you know, away from home, it was like okay, like this is I'm I'm gonna keep doing this. I'm gonna keep keep the, keep the fight going. Um, and like I said, like I, it's just something that's already in me where I always just feel like I, I got to do something like we need to organize. We need to get going. Like something's happening. Hey, y'all meet me at the Diag is going down. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, you know, even here, like right now it's, it's the same concept. Like, yo guys, this is, this is what's going on in this world, especially talking about black lives matter at this moment of time. It's like it, it took a pandemic for people to be at home to finally wake up and realize, yo, black people matter and there's shit going on. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Um, but I'm also hopeful and, and I'm glad that people are, you know, finally getting into it and finally realizing and finally educating themselves. And I just hope, it, you know, the momentum stays. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll see who sticks around for the fight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and the reason I have so many questions yeah. uh, on this fight, because in so many ways, even that has Detroit ties as Ralph Bunch. And I, I don't know, are you familiar with Ralph Bunch's history? Mm -hmm. But Ralph Bunch was one of the few black international dignitaries at the time mm -hmm. after what was quote unquote considered the allied forces okay. that uh, on paper, they say defeated uh <laughs> defeated Nazism in uh, the last stand of fascism and militarism of, uh, of Adolf Hitler. Mm. It was a black man from the city of Detroit, Ralph Bunch, that served as a dignitary that really drew up the lines for what became Israel and mm. dividing what became Palestine. Mm -hmm. uh, Ralph Bunch is recognized in history also as the person that went to the Congo with that same theory. And it was his work in the Congo mm -hmm. where it made him reflect on what he did in Israel yeah, in Palestine and say, damn, what we're doing here to Patrice Lumumba, we did to the people in Palestine. Mm -hmm. And even in his writings, he said, this will never, this will never work out. Yeah. But his face, that black face served as the, I guess, referee. Uh, on behalf of what the United Nations at the time coming out of the quote unquote allied forces yeah, uh, to decide to say that these oppressed Jewish people under uh, under Nazism and, and people just think it was kind of just Germany, but it was also Hungary, Poland okay. and many of these other lands need need the land of their own. Yeah. And the land of their own, they said at the time, was the chosen land for God's right. people with right. some of the influence of already a lot of the Jewish people that um, that left that, that Nazi state of Europe at the time. Mm -hmm. um, 
so this even has some Detroit ties that run deep. Um, and that's why, I, you know, World War II had such an impact on colonialism moving forward in its face now. And in 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 the way that capitalism has kind of taken form as opposed to imperialism. So I know right now I'm probably boring some people, but I'm trying no, to just drop some science about. to get to a, a deeper question within you and your family. Mm-hmm. So how were your mom, how did your dad speak about Palestine and Israel when you were a child? Mm-hmm. As you were learning these lessons, what was your family's take? What were your mom, what were your parents' takes? Um, so like I said, like when it comes to Palestine, um, that's just something that's just it's almost like a cultural thing in a lot of Muslim and Arab homes. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's part of who we are. It's just, it's a cause that we all adopt. Mm -hmm. Um, We're just born knowing, being raised like as young Muslim and Arab kids, like this is what's going on in Palestine and and this is what we're going to fight for. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no question or debate about it. Um, So that's just how it's just been around me my whole life. Like I said, in, in all the mosques that I've attended, there's always fundraising dinners going on for it, always protests and rallies. I just remember as a child going to. Um, so it was just like a natural thing for us, um, you know, in a lot of our households, to be honest. Um, also, I'm, I'm Algerian. Um, and so a lot of people know who are Algerian or Palestinian. There's a huge connection between the two lands and the two people. We just have like this natural love for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really funny. And I think it's because... Um, Algeria has gone through such a severe colonization by France. Um, it's known to be one of the longest colonizations in history. Um, and they went through an extreme battle and extreme wars, you know, just to uh, gain their independence and, and their, gain their own land and freedoms back from France. Um, they call it, um, what is it called? Million Shahid, which means a million martyrs, right? That's how many people died for the cause just to get their independence back from France. Um, so the, it, the way it was is like the, uh, France kind of looked at Algeria as kind of like an extension of their own land. That's literally how they looked at it. True. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, that's also something that's kind of like been born into me. That's just in my blood is, you know, I have these people before me, my own ancestors before me who, you know, ha- have fought wars just to gain their own freedom for to fight up, you know, and stand up for what's right. And so I feel like that's where a lot of it comes for me. Um, and a lot of people don't know, you know, a lot of women were very heavily involved in the war for independence in Algeria, um, especially when it came down to being tactical um, and using disguises, whether with a headscarf or whether it was without. You know, you had women who um, didn't wear a headscarf and they would uh, disguise as French women sometimes to get between checkpoints. Um, or you also had a woman who would wear the full, um, they call it the high covering. Um, and underneath they could be, should they could be carrying bombs, weapons, um, or simply just, you know, um, information that they'd be, you know, trying to pass through checkpoints. Um, you, you know, or even suicide bombers sometimes too. Um, so they're like women were very heavily involved in, in the war for Algeria. And, and it's unique that you bring this up. Uh, Lord knows it's almost like one of my youngest guests. (laughs) I'm talking so much about history. Um, because a lot of those ties, especially when we think of Northern Africa, um, 
go right back to the Moorish people. Yeah. Which we what we are label, but Islam. Yeah. Islam having its influence. Yeah. Over Europe mm-hmm. for generations of most people not even having an yeah, understanding that Empire. for centuries mm-hmm. that the Moorish people in, in even in a lot of what you will see in in structures of Catholicism. Right. Algebra, plumbing, uh, uh, algebra, plumbing, uh, any form of math. current mathematics Physics. comes from astronomy the ideas art <laughs> of islam yeah african muslims yep. were the were the <laughs> were the teachers mm-hmm. at the time and in many of the adopters in in europe that suppressed their their <laughs> their religion after the fact because the roman catholic regime that uh that fought against the moors mm-hmm. viciously right and destroyed so many of the monuments, so many of the structures, so much yeah. of the influence. Yeah. Other than the plumbing, the mathematics, like the resources that they could keep. Almost right. the, the same thing of right. uh, what was taken from comedic science exactly. of the Egyptians. <laughs> they kept, but mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we still need to destroy the uh, the imagery of right. this. It's hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that savagery that... that um, the visceral savagery when we look at places like Libya, yeah. Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco, Egypt. You know, Egypt. I think what a lot of people don't talk about, actually this is a very like hot topic right now, is whether people, you know, this debate between violence and nonviolence. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm going to keep it real. Like, you can't get what you want by being nice. Like, it, it, nothing gets handed to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, this whole debate right now is like, you're going to go up to your oppressor and be like, hey, can I have my freedom? Can I have my rights? No. Anyone that has gained any so, like form of power, let's talk about this country right here, right? It was gained through violence. It was gained through, um, you know, genocide. Not saying that it's justified at all, but what I'm trying to say is anything that you want to gain, you have to do it by force. I would say, I'll push back on that. And okay. I would say that that's a Western civilization's view of things. Mm-hmm. I but disagree. That's his. That's his story. Because on on the east side too. And I would say that Western civilization has so much of an influence on how we look at even his story mm-hmm. that we don't even necessarily embrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other even traditions. Eastern, like so, I would it's say always more through so force, for though. like I would say more so like African traditions. Mm-hmm. So I can speak more to African traditions than I can speak to Asiatic. Okay. Traditions. Mm-hmm. So like in African traditions, the comedic people uh, with their structures are, are held up because that is the the that was the, the template for what became Rome, which was the template for Greece, mm-hmm. which was the template for Roman Catholics, which was the template for the 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 British army in America and so forth and so on. But there were also the Dogon people. There were also the Ashanti people Mm -hmm. and many of their communal collective ways of life were were very much so uh, welcoming in different methods Mm -hmm. and sharing of it. I believe that the lens uh, of of violence and Mm -hmm. savagery Mm -hmm. is more to a Western perspective Mm -hmm. because it is slanted to believe that life is built on scarcity like Mm -hmm. capitalism and there's only a finite 
amount of resources. Mm -hmm. But the African perspective is more built on abundance. Mm -hmm. And there are abundant amount of resources. Yeah. Uh, even with what I know of the studies of the native people here, the people mm -hmm. indigenous to this land, had a more abundant lifestyle of looking at life. Mm -hmm. So the conflicts between different tribes, as yeah. we may label them, was definitely way more of a ritualistic dancing mm -hmm. and uh, ritualistic uh ritualistic call and in, in song mm -hmm. than it was murder okay murder becomes an influence i say my theory in western society because in europe it's so cold mm -hmm. you know um it's cold it's it's but what are you supposed to do when you have people coming into your land trying to take is, over but this is the this you know was what i a, mean this is a construct of western civilization like mm -hmm. like this was their 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 inaction the the need to come into someone else's space and land was built off of being in places that brutal winners mm -hmm. you know i mean the f four yards could be the difference between my family eating for a week and not eating for a week yeah so the history of things like vikings exists mm -hmm. and that's why i think the one asiatic person that i think is always brought up is the whole concept of um of mongolians and and what existed with uh damn my mind just went blank most famous mongolian uh where where it's like this person but but it completely shows the way that like the weaponry was yeah. not anything that these other nations were looking to develop mm -hmm. because there was no reason to murder people when you live in a land of abundance mm -hmm. when you think that things do exist but the the Genghis Khan that's who I was thinking oh okay so the Asiatic uh this Asiatic general is held up in a high esteem through his story because. Mm -hmm because Genghis Khan falls on the same Lyles of Napoleon mm -hmm. of of George Washington mm -hmm. of um LeMay of 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 George W Bush you know what I'm saying like that is in line with how we like to look at the world whereas I would say that there's a collective there's a collective familial spirit that does exist in a certain amount of people through love mm -hmm. that does connect. Even the Moorish people, as they went through Europe, uh, they say, yes, the sword was in one hand, but the book was in the other. But mm -hmm. it was really a lot of the book. The knowledge was what welcomed so many people. Yeah. And that's why yeah. the Roman Catholic army was so, uh, I don't know. So I, visceral. I hear you. And maybe I should do a little more research myself. Uh -huh. But I just know just so much of what I've looked into. What you've seen. It's always yes. through force. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And that's why I'm saying like I, my personal opinion, the mm -hmm. only true way to gain independence and to really win a revolution is sometimes through force. Mm -hmm. Honestly, because no one's going to listen to you when you're being all nice, marching, holding hands, being paraded by police, you know, suit surveilling the street for you. Yeah. It really completely goes against the whole rhetoric of, you know, abolishing police. But that's a whole nother conversation. But um, yeah, but I mean, this is a this is an interesting take. And mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely have my perspective. Right. And what I'm speaking of is it's almost like living in like four standard deviations away from reality, because how do you live in a reality not influenced by Western civilization at this point in time? Uh, and then how much of it do you take mm -hmm. to right the wrong? But I will say I don't it's not I don't think it's just a Western thing because I just know I just remember learning 
as a child about more of like the Eastern civilization, like specifically Islamic um, era and a lot mm -hmm. of the wars at the time as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we can talk about something else. So, I mean, <laughs> but this is all like, I no, think we're just it, going on it, topic. <laughs> it, I know we're off topic, but I think we're kind of on topic uh -huh. because this is still your perspective. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's kind of how Detroit is yeah. different interviews are. Mm -hmm. But like, I guess in, in the mix of the topic and still relating it yeah. one to one, um, your, your calling and connecting in college at U of M. Yeah. One of the institutions that is mm -hmm. heralded mm -hmm. for uh, its role in Western civilization. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? What was it like being a person that was um, connected to uh, movements that weren't necessarily in line with the agenda of where capitalism mm -hmm. exists right now? Uh, you're talking about my, my time of activism in college. Yes. Like what that was like. Yeah. Um, it's very different from outside of college. That is something that, like I've I really noticed. Like it's it's almost like a bubble in a way, almost like a microcosm in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, but it felt very radical at the time. You know what I mean? I felt like I had, um really like a group of people who I could connect with and work with who are very like-minded, who are just so passionate, you know, about organizing, so passionate about coming right in the moment. Like, I'll call you right now. Like, yo, it's about to go down. And like, people just show up, you know, but maybe because we had that mobility because we were all so central. So I wonder if that probably has a lot to do with it too. Um, cause something I noticed like right now as an older person, um, you know, around, you know, whether it's in the city or in the suburbs, I think maybe because we're a little more segregated in terms of distance and maybe transportation too. Um, but I feel like we don't have as much track, as much traction as I'm noticing, like in other cities, for example, like LA and even in Australia, you know, if you're seeing what's going on there, um, I feel like Detroit has so much like just small things happening, small protests here and there, but I haven't seen us yet to have like one huge collective movement that I've, that we've been seeing like in LA and Chicago, Atlanta, you know what I'm saying? And, and I think because they have such a big movement that they're able to call for these demands and to make some changes happening in there, whether it's their police department, um, right. Their political office, um, but I feel like here there's just a lot of disconnect. Like I said, I have my theories, whether it might be transportation or lack of communication. I don't know what it is, but I don't know. I feel like it's something that we need to talk about. Like, how come it's not as big as other cities? Like, why not? Why aren't we getting all together? Why aren't we all angry together, um, you know, making movement together on the streets? Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answer to that. Okay. So... I, yeah that's um that's interesting yeah so in college you felt that there was more of a like um a uh a, a collective that existed around some of the progressive issues mm -hmm. so what were some of those progressive issues in college that you remember advocating for um i remember two huge ones going on at the same time and it we really came together was one like i said around palestine specifically we had a movement called bds boycott divestment and sanctions 
And what that was a practice that was learned from and adopted during the time of calling for an end to South African apartheid, where they really called on the global world to boycott, divest, and sanction, um, mm-hmm. right, South Africa apartheid at the time. Um, and a lot of universities at the time were, were adopting that practice, calling on their universities to divest any stocks that they had invested um, that were profiting off the apartheid. Um, and so in the same concept, there's a lot of universities today that are calling for divestment um, to their university, calling on their board of regents to really look into their their stocks that they have and seeing which companies you know, are profiting off the Israeli occupation. Um, for example, things like Caterpillar, right, which is a construction company, and you have these, um, their, um, what are they called, the, the bulldozers mm-hmm. uh, that are being used to demolish Palestinian homes to make way for these Jewish-only settlements that are actually illegal under international law. Um, so things like that, where we're just calling on our universities to divest from these companies. Um, and so we had a huge movement for that. This was in about 2013, 2014. Um, we had, you know, just thousands of people that were following what we were doing. We had, you know, national media attention. Um, and at the same time, there was also what was called, um, it was called hashtag BBUM being black at the university of Michigan. And this was all happening at the same time, same year. They were also undergoing a huge movement for their community as well. Um, and so it was just really awesome to see all of us coming together collectively, um, all for the cause of, of bringing down injustice, racial injustice, you know, ethnic injustice. Um, <clears throat> but like I said, bringing it back to why I think that is, is I feel like maybe it was because we were all there already. So I don't know if it's like a mobile thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, out being out here now outside of college. It's, I kind of wonder if, if that has a big role to play with. And I really mm-hmm. feel like it does. Okay. And then also, um, from there, your journey in education connecting the city year starts. Mm-hmm. How did that start? You said you said Harper Woods. Um, yeah. Why did you choose city year? Why didn't you choose yeah. uh, the Peace Corps right. or ACLU or mm-hmm. another organization? Um, so when it was my senior year in college, like I said, I was doing my women's studies major, finishing that up. Um, and I was just learning so much about, like I said, the frameworks of racism and sexism and homophobia, classism mm-hmm. at the time. So I kind of just wanted to continue along that field of work and that field of study. And then I had heard about City Year through some people, um, heard some good things. And honestly, um, I was like, I don't know what else I'm going to do. So let me just try it out and just see what happens. Um, I applied for the Detroit region. Um, and they what led you for Detroit? Um, I wanted to stay at home, mm-hmm. wanted to stay local. Um, and I just felt like there's, there's so much that we could be working on in our own backyard. Like I said, you know, you know, I was doing so much for Palestine and college, which we obviously still need to continue that work. But I also wanted to spend some time doing some work locally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt like when I was at Harper Woods, like I said, it just made me realize like, okay, this is something that I could be working on here. Um, that's right in our own homes, um, focusing on educational injustice um, that's very connected to racism, classism, um, and seeing how different kids are receiving a different form of education. And that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. That is on purpose the way True. funding is set up. They purposefully want people at the bottom, purposely, purposely want people at the top and to keep it that way. Um, 
And yeah, after that, I just continued working with nonprofits, with different educational programs, ended up doing Teach for America. Again, applied to the Detroit region, just wanted to keep it local, wanted to really just like make a change here while I can. Um, and yeah, it just, it just kept building, you know, one year after the next. So as that continues, I, I also definitely have to ask about women's studies. Um, in America, especially, uh, the misunderstanding of two cultures yeah. that you're part of, Arab culture yeah. and Muslim culture. Yeah. It's completely been um, mischaracterized. Of course. Through American media. Of course. And this is and, long before 9-11. It didn't and, start at 9-11. Yes, I know. But yep. it, it, I think it ramped up after yep. 9-11. But yep. even before 9-11, one of the things is, you know, Arab men do not... And Muslim men do not respect women. Women have no rights. Right. This is That's something still even right now propagated through, yep. uh, you know, yep. some some of the strongest like American. A, I think politicians. that's a a similar stereotype for a lot of racial minorities. We have a lot of very similar stereotypes. True. Very true. So, what led you to women's studies, and uh, and then also in that, mm -hmm. um, in that understanding. Mm -hmm. um, what uh, what have you found fulfilling to provide arguments against that usual American mm -hmm. perspective without an understanding? We're probably never even really interacting with with a Muslim that they know. Right. Uh, or Arab woman or yeah. Muslim woman. Yeah. You know. um, so I ended up going into women's studies. So I'm going to be real at the time. I was pre-med. You know, okay. I was just going into the whole you know, I'll, let me uh, do something that I know must be. What was the thought in pre-med? It was uh, honestly, it was a cultural thing, you know, doctor, engineer, lawyer type of okay. thing. You know, this is these are your options. Um, and it's not like I was forced or nothing, but it was just that's what I would that's, always see and hear. Seemed... And this is what's going to make you money, make yeah. you comfortable lifestyle. So I was like, OK, let me do that. By the time I like got to my junior year, I was taking like biochem anatomy i was not doing well and, and i'm like a good but student you just didn't respond well <laughs> to the studies yeah it just so it wasn't clicking with me what spoke what spoke to you about did you just say as an elective let me take a women's studies class or um so then i ended up yeah taking a women's studies course my junior year it was called um gender violence in a global context okay and you just needed an extra an and extra class and you took it it looked interesting and it fulfilled, you know, a credit. So um, I took it and it was it was an eye opener for me. That class, that's mm. what made it switch for me. It wow. was like, dang, like the readings that we had, you know, we just did so many readings on learning so about. You actually read the, you actually read the, oh, the work the course gave. Oh, I highlighted every, I, okay. I think I still have the papers. Like I kept those readings because yeah. it just like opened my eyes to. Learning discussion board. Like, you know, these different philosophies and frameworks, but also just like showing you like what's really going on in this world, mm. particularly how women are being affected during times of war. Right. How a lot of women are carrying the brunt during times of war or yeah. in pro poverty. Women are carrying the brunt of it because we're the ones that are still holding the family down, taking care of the children. If men, you know, die in war or if men are incarcerated, the women are the ones who are holding it down for the family. Um, and so. Um, or just, you know, other forms of, of violence, whether, you know, they decide to become sex workers, for example. Mm. You know, it's a very negative stereotype, but 
most women who are in that field choose to do it, you know, mm -hmm. for different reasons. Um, but yeah, just like learning about so many different aspects that we don't normally talk about. And um, this was, I'm guessing, just it enthral that sparked you to say, yeah, I want more classes. It like just this. my brain was like, wow. Okay, now it was what, just like whoa. Okay, now when you went <laughs> home and told your mom and dad this, what what was their response? Um, well, so my dad actually passed away when I was young, so just my mom. Condolences. Um, yeah, thank you. So now nah, my mom was, you know, she's always been supportive, so I appreciate okay. that with whatever I do. Um. You know, even being um, 28 and single, and I'm gonna be honest, that's like a, a kind of like a taboo, you know, in, in the Muslim world to be that age and still be single. And she's still like supportive about it. You know, she always says, just, you know, live your life, focus mm -hmm. on your work, school, all of that. And I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, she's, yeah, she's been supportive, you know, throughout this whole time. Okay. And, you know, me being a teacher as well, like, especially when i tell people or she tells people that i'm a teacher in detroit that mm -hmm. along comes with many stereotypes about yeah. the kids in detroit you know what i'm saying and i feel like that's a whole nother work that i have to carry on is even going against that stereotype so like you said i have the stereotypes that i'm fighting as an arab and muslim woman mm -hmm. that i'm also having to fight the stereotypes of detroit kids specifically black kids let's be real well, wait wait you you stopped you you stopped the step <laughs> just being a teacher in general and then being a teacher just being a yep. teacher and then being a teacher in a predominantly black city mm -hmm. is another layer of that oh yeah so many layers yes because you know like, why the hell would you want to be a teacher yeah as, as if the incentive Yep. of everything in life is rooted in money exactly exactly and for me it was it was more than that when i realized when i made that switch it was like no nah, i need that mind fulfillment that's what i need because okay. whatever you're passionate about it'll it'll come to you the money will eventually come now you know now as you talk also about another passion spoken word yeah and that's kind of how we met we met through yep. uh dr ward or steven as he would say mm. at u of m I, at the hip hop class at the hip hop class yep. and, and God knows I don't know why anybody ever sometimes gives me an open forum to speak on stuff no that was a but, good session but uh, you were like extremely like business you were like you gonna do this you gonna do that I, I've been back to his class Dr. Ward is nothing as professional as you that's Shout why he chose Steven. me as his I was <laughs> So for people who are listening, Dr. Stephen Ward, he is a professor at University of Michigan um, and uh, in the Afro-American department. He listens. He listens. And um, I was taking his class. It was an undergraduate class, but I was a graduate student and took it as a, mm -hmm. I forget what it's called, like independent studies. Yeah. So he kind of had me as a dedicated assistant pretty mm -hmm. much. Yeah. And so I just pretty much curated events. Um, so that we can keep connected with specifically like the Detroit community mm. and the hip hop community and, and bring it out to U of M so that the students there can kind of, you know, learn about it and, and learn firsthand from people, you know, not just from readings and videos. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a really fun time. We had Piper Carter come as a guest yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Shout, Shout out, out Piper to Carter. Piper on Detroit is different. We even had my group wisdom poets, um, check us out at wisdom poets. We and were, that was actually our first time as what what became wisdom poets and that was what i was about to ask yep. about your spoken word poetry yep um you do that as well mm -hmm. so yep. uh how, how what led you into that yeah uh it's funny because poetry also started at harper woods i'm telling you man that year was transformational for me mm -hmm. um when i was at harper woods high school um this is like in 2014 
Um, I remember the school had a annual poetry show and I volunteered to help um, hold rehearsals down for the students during lunch after school. So we would all get together and rehearse together. And it just like really blew my mind and opened my, my mind to see these young folks being so vulnerable and just talking mm -hmm. about their experiences and life stories um, and even seeing them get emotional sometimes, you know, or just even like seeing just so much joy, too, um, from being together, you know, over the love of poetry. Um, and I said, dang, like if they're so young, 14, 15, 16 years old doing this, like I can do it, too. So. Mm. It kind of inspired me to write my first formal like spoken word piece. What was it about? Um, and I remember writing actually just about like my experience as a Muslim woman in this country. Um, because at the time, I just remember um, just going through a lot in terms of what was happening in this country against Muslim women. Um, so for people who don't know, you know, there's been after, during Trump's initial presidential campaign um you know he just incited so much hate speech that really inspired and motivated a lot of um people to act on their racism right we saw a yeah. lot of that for the muslim community for the hispanic community um and how he was able to use his words to bring people out to act on their racist thoughts um and a lot of it was violent um, there were many instances and um, hate crimes being reported um, with uh, CARE. CARE is the Council of Islamic, Islamic, uh, American Islamic Relations. And they saw a huge surge and spike of cases being reported of hate crimes against Muslims. Also in the news, if you are following, just seeing how many Muslim women were being either verbally attacked or physically attacked. And even some incidences of women being killed as well. Um, there was the case of... Um, these group of Muslim students in uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, um, who were shot and killed execution style by their white neighbor, you know, wow. who had an incident over a parking spot, you know, but let's be real. It's not what it was about. Um, so it was just different cases. And then and like just seeing so many videos being caught of women being, you know, I like I said, either verbally attacked or physically beaten. Um, woman being stomped on, having their hijabs ripped off of their heads. Just it was just so much. And it was just like so traumatic at the time. I just remember like just feeling so anxious and I didn't feel good mentally. Like I was not in a good space because I just kept seeing this over and over again in the media. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like and for anyone who I know is is dealing with this, I know, especially as a black person, I can't understand. But what I can say is that that's traumatic to have to constantly see those headlines, constantly see these videos of someone who looks like you, who relates to you of the same, um, you know, group as you that's being attacked. That's traumatic. You know, you constantly have these images in your head. You know, there was also the case last year of um, there was a mosque in New Zealand of 50 Muslims at, in prayer and a, a, a guy went in there and shot up the mosque and 50 people were killed. Mm. Um, and I just remember that moment being so traumatic for me where I couldn't get that thought out of my head. Like I just kept constantly just thinking about it over and over. Like I couldn't turn it off, just picturing it, picturing myself in the moment, picturing my family, you know, that happening to us, happening in our mosque. I really had to, I had to seek like therapy services because it really was 
you know, just disturbing my daily thoughts. Like I'd be in class and just be zoned out, not thinking, you know. Um, so like people who are listening, like, you know, seek services if you need it. I know there's a lot of free services right now, which is great. Um, you know, we're seeing so much all the time in the media, um, you know, black men being killed all the time. And it's just it's not healthy for our minds to be seeing that. Like, that's not it's not OK. We're seeing murder in broad daylight. That's that's not that's not normal, yeah. you know. So, you know, seek help if you need it. Don't don't feel like you're alone or, you know, that there's help out there, whether it's therapy or finding groups um, poetry, you know, open mics. That has been my therapy is open mics as well. Reading has been my therapy, writing poetry, um, working with the youth. Honestly, like this program that I'm doing, like that's, that's going to be like my therapy in that moment is just being there with them and having a good time and just, you know, healing together, celebrating together. Um, so yes, it's a lot, man. It's heavy. So, (laughs) so with that, being the start and the catalyst of you doing poetry, how did it expand over to you getting on stages and, and yeah. going to open mics? Um, it was a very gradual process. I will say that. So like even that, like the first time I performed back like in 2014, um, totally messed up my first time. Like just okay. <laughs> forgot my lines and everything, but just kept going with it. Just had a good time. And but from there, like, it was still really slow. Like, I would start to go to open mics, but I never performed, never went on the stage. Mm-hmm. I was still extremely shy and anxious, very nervous. Um, but just being in that space was, like, motivating. So felt what, good. Was the, what was the catalyst to make you say, I'm going to do it? Honestly, it was just it just a gradual. It just took slowly just over time. Mo- it was just time, slowly said, just okay, being around it more, okay. practicing every once in a while. Like, I might go up there and do a piece. How did you your know? friends and family respond? Um, they were cool with it, you know, and then they say you're doing poetry. I don't know. It was just it is what it is type of thing. You know what I mean? They they expected it that I've always been like the artist or creative type of my family. So it wasn't like, okay, no big things were you doing? Um, I've always just been like a huge like, um, lover of art, like Mm -hmm. always love going to museums, things like that. Love books. Um, but what also turned it for me now that you're asking me and I'm remembering. Um, So the more I got into it, um, I ended up kind of co-founding and co-joining this um, poetry group called uh, The Guild. And it was a a bunch of us from U of M at the time, but it was after I had graduated. This was like in 20, um, like 17, 2016 maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just a diverse group of us um, that would perform together, do workshops together and just get together with a love of poetry. Um, and then, like I said, last year is when I got together with a few of the women from that same group. We kind of um, started like another group, but it was just a woman's poetry collective. Um, and so honestly, like through those collectives, it really pushed me into my poetry, into my performance, uh, because we really like critiqued each other, really got to practice more with each other. And then just being around like other adult poets, honestly, is what inspired me more you know to do better to be better uh to really push myself you know shout out if the guild is listening or wisdom you know we have candida the poet follow her uh Michaela norwood she's actually the motown mike poet of the year she won last year um mariah smith um 
Those are the women from Wisdom specifically. And and at the Motown mic, I, I just happened to be, and this is like if people know, oh, it's yeah. like here's another yo, I'm connecting not, moment. Um, I'm, this is not. I was not. The fix was not in. I was not Dwayne Wade at the dunk contest this year that I'm still mad about. Oh my but, god! Uh, the you just happened to be there. Yeah, Dan walked in and I was like, oh, I got to talk about that story. Can okay, I tell that tell story, story real quick? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I've never done like a poetry competition. Never did slams. That was never my thing. I just like to just go and enjoy poetry, and that's it. You know, type mm -hmm. of thing. Um, but I saw the Facebook event for Motown Mike. And it was like, well, it's free if you compete. So I was like, well, I might as well just go on, go up there because it's free, so why not? Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> you know, um, and for people who don't know, Motown Mike, they do it every year. And it's like um, every Friday, I think like in March around that time mm -hmm. where they have these preliminary rounds every Friday of the month. And then it leads up to like a final yeah. uh, competition at the end where it's about nine, ten people that perform at the, the grand finale. And the one person gets called the Motown um, like you know poet of the year and this is by like the Motown Museum so um, and each week it was like about what 30 people that would come and compete it was a lot I mean shout out to Raina Baker mm -hmm. uh, she's one of the most talented people mm. uh, that has come through these Detroit's different doors and contracted with me through creative differences it's a collection of them I can't believe it. it's like damn these people are so talented mm -hmm. I can't keep I can't keep my talented people right but uh, Raina helps run that whole concept and that vision. Yeah. And it may be amazing even, like it's some performers. She did amazing. Mm -hmm. It's some, uh, some people are in the competition. Some people just perform. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a cool, yeah. it's a cool set. Yeah. So I show up and then I see my friend, Mikaela, mm -hmm. Mimi shows up. We both didn't know, even know oh, that we were say, going. I rolled in together. Like I just went cause I was like, eh, might as well, I'm going to spend my uh -huh. Friday night here. You know, just go see what the vibes are like. I'm going to just mm -hmm. go up there, have some fun. And then she was on the same thing saying like, oh, I just can't cause I could, you know, compete for free. So I'm going to just come. And she had um, a friend in town too. So she just wanted to bring her out, mm -hmm. you know, so give her a little Detroit tour. So what better than the, you know, Motown Museum. Um, so yeah, we both go there and compete. And ended up uh, both, you know, passing through the prelim rounds. We weren't expecting it. It just kind of happened. And it was just a good time. And then we both ended up making it to the final round with the yeah. final 10. And she ended up winning it all. So that's power. You know, that's power. shout out to her. She's an amazing poet. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Both very creative. Mm -hmm. It's good that you've transitioned in that world. And now you're transitioning, giving a platform for little homies. Mm -hmm. So this is the second year of your summer program. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you're introducing them to artists. Yep. What What are the ages of the summer program? Um, so it's open to high school, young adult. Um, it's okay. you know called Writing for Freedom Teen Camp. So in that age range, um, just want to bring um young people together to start introducing them to one another, have them to start network with each other, have them start building like their own. Uh, business, have them start building their own, um, you know, financial and, and mind as well. Um, and so just give them like a space where they can just be themselves, have fun together, learn together, learn from artists in the city who've, who've been doing this, who've been around. Um, you know, we already have a couple of things lined up, so I'm super excited. I can definitely shout them out. Like I said, we have Bloom Bodies. Um, you know, they're a group in the city that focus on education and art. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be doing a workshop on talking about the importance of black history in schools um, and how young people can mobilize together in schools. Um, 
where we have an artist, um, young artist. Her name is uh, Brie Gant. She'll be doing um, an art workshop um, as well. We have uh, we might be having Motor City uh, Street Dance Academy, who might be doing a hip hop dance workshop. Uh, we have someone coming in to do a yoga and meditation workshop. So, you know, we got a lot of things lined up. Um, we got painting, you know, um, like I said, poetry workshop as well. Um, four to seven. It's going to be um, the first four Thursdays of July will be from four to seven p.m. Mm. The last Friday in July will be from seven to nine. That'll be the mm. final showcase. Um, so it'll be like an open mic style as well as them kind of showcasing, you know, what they've been working on all summer. Um, it's completely free. Um, yeah, we're just going to have a fun time. That's really what it's about. Okay. Well, that's definitely yeah. cool. What was the catalyst to make you want to do this and who who funds all of this? Um, honestly, like I do it because I love it. I do it because I have fun. Like okay. I have fun doing it. I have fun being with the youth. They give me youth. They give me energy. Okay. Um, that's why I love working with them. They keep it real. You know, they keep you real. You know what I'm saying? They check mm. you too. So I appreciate that about them. Um, and in terms of funding, I have a GoFundMe right now. You can look up writing the number for freedom. You can also search my name, Bayan Funas, B-A-Y-A-N-F-O-U-N-A-S. Um, there's also a cash app, um, dollar sign, writing the number for freedom. And my Venmo is at Bayan-Funas. We're trying to raise $5,000 and all this money will go towards the program. Um, you know, whether it's feeding them T-shirts, um, the guest artist fees, um, office supplies, um, and then any remaining funds will go towards Nandi's Knowledge Cafe, which is in Highland Park. And she's collecting money right now for renovations and and just keeping the business, you know, alive and open for the community. OK. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's yeah. great. So it's independently funded from the ground yeah. up. In the ground, you know, we we keep a grassroots style. I'm with it. Keep I'm a grassroots it. here. I'm with <laughs> it. So uh I've given to it. Hopefully you Appreciate all give to it. it. Um get some little homies in the mix. I'm gonna yeah. shout out some of the people. It's right here in this neighborhood, basically. Okay. Uh cause you know, Oatman Boulevard's a couple blocks away. Uh that's kind of in the square, even mm -hmm. though it's on the Highland Park side, it's still in the square of my neighborhood. You okay. know, it's it's uh where I would ride a bike as a kid. Uh, so this is all great. Now I have my classic Detroit is different questions for you. Okay. Um, so the first one, uh, your very first car, year making model and what year did you get it? Dang. It wasn't my car, but I was sharing the minivan with my mama at the time. I remember okay, so in high let school, you, she let you grip going to work. Yeah, whipping the minivan. I remember that. And then when I first did start getting my own car, I think it was a white Toyota Camry. Okay. I can't remember the year though. Did you name it? Nah. Where I was, I was it wasn't like that for me. Where where was the first place you went when you got it? Dang, I don't remember. Probably school. Okay. <laughs> Probably work. <laughs> All right. Um, you're the DJ at the Detroit Fireworks. You okay. get to play three songs, Woodward oh, and Jefferson. Shoot. What three songs you playing? Wow, that's a hard question. <sighs> um dang you really put me on the spot yeah what three songs you playing it would have to be for sure a tupac song what song i don't know man i mean he got like a million albums i, I mean, know he probably got more albums after he died that was released than when he was living mm. 
and it's a fireworks. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's like families. Maybe okay. changes. Okay. Um, I gotta throw in an Afrobeat song. Okay, what song? I don't know. I don't know. There's so many good ones right now. I really like this all this song called "Damn." Okay. I can't remember who it's by right now. So we're going to go with that. That's and two. then um, gotta put Cardi B in there. What song? Shit. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Get up ten? Is that what it's called? I'm not sure <laughs> her catalog, but we gonna roll with that. And then, um, if you could rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be? You said, say it again. If you could rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be? Malcolm X. There we go. Detroit Red. There we go. Yep, for sure. Well, thank you so much. On uh, my Instagram. Yeah, I was going to say, that was what I was going to leave you with. If people want to get in contact with you, how should yes. they do it? Uh, you can follow me, find me on Instagram and Twitter at that Algerian, that A-L-G-E-R-I-A-N. Um, you can hit me up on there for more information about the Summer Youth Program. Hope y'all come through. It starts um, July 2nd, 4 o'clock at 90s Knowledge Cafe. That's what's up. Peace be. Yeah, peace out, everybody. Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.